This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. The Democratic frontrunner in the primary gave an interview last night to a favorable outlet and still managed to completely fuck it up. Joe Biden, talking about his Iraq war vote, claimed that he didn't believe... Saddam Hussein had nuclear weapons. He didn't believe that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, but yet he still voted to authorize the war in Iraq. That was a direct quote. What what happened was Jack, (laughs) he didn't say Jack. Folks, Jack, what happened, Jack? Anyway, no, this is what he actually said. What happened was we went in, determined they hyped what in fact was occurring. There was no concrete proof of what he was doing and they still went to war and this is a lie Um, of course it's a lie it's he there's documented evidence there's tape of him believing that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction also there there anyone who was watching it unfold knew that the weapons of mass destruction was an excuse that the Bush administration just straight up didn't care I think what he was saying before <laughs> this is a mess. Before this, he was he he was talking about how uh, he voted in the way that he did was allegedly to give the authorization to weapons inspectors to go into Iraq. Hmm. That's what he was claiming, which I think it was bound all within a UN resolution that authorized that, and also war if they didn't adhere to those demands, which they were doing. Yeah. So this is all total bullshit, and God, what a disaster. But the worst thing that was said during this Lawrence O'Donnell I think they're both equally bad. sure. But more relevant, I guess, to the the main debate over healthcare in America right now, the issue that's costing the lives of 60,000 people a year, Biden said he'd veto Medicare for all if he was president. He was presented with a scenario... By Lawrence O'Donnell, in which Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, ha, that's laughable, were able to get a Medicare for all bill passed out of the Senate. Somehow they got one out of the House and it was sent to Joe Biden's desk. What would he do with it? And Biden basically said he'd veto it. He'd worry about the costs of it and he'd veto it. You want to know how they figured out how to pay for it. Yeah, he and and what the the insane thing is, you have guys like uh, uh, like Josh Marshall from Talking Points Memo who are like, oh, again, here are the Bernie Bros claiming that Biden said a thing that he didn't actually say, and then he transcribes the interview Marshall does and and tweets it out, and the transcription describes everything that we described, and that Biden was asked point blank, "Will you veto this?" And he says, "Yes, I will veto it." And he gives some long-winded bullshit answer about how he doesn't want to threaten the the security of healthcare now as it is. And Marshall's acting like he's surprised, like this is somehow a surprise. As if Joe Biden wasn't specifically attacking Sanders for being unrealistic yeah. and and pushing a plan that he described as ruinous. Joe Biden repeatedly described Medicare for all as ruinous, rolling out bullshit statistics of thirty six uh, like trillion dollars, which is the amount it would cost over the course of ten years. 
and and Biden is saying, oh, this is 10 times bigger. This is bigger than the economy, which he's referring to a GDP number for one year. Yeah. It just shows how craven Joe Biden is to the healthcare special interest groups as a front runner on the verge of possibly locking this thing up. Biden could have easily said something politically. I mean, look at every exit poll that we've had so far. Medicare for all has been over 50 percent popularity among the Democratic electorate is a very popular issue. Joe Biden could have easily said, yeah, say if they figure out a way to pass it out of the Senate in the House. Yeah, I'm 100 percent for it. My main concern is that we wouldn't be able to pass it. So let's build on on Obamacare. But if they figure out a way to pass it, I'm 100 percent on board. No, because he knows by saying that he's going to piss off the health insurance industry. And he can't do that. Can't do that. Even though he still might win. He can't do that. So he needs to send a message. Hey, I'm still on your guys' side. Don't worry. And you Don't still worry. have hacks like Josh Marshall who are caping for uh, for Biden and 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 explaining away this response and saying that the Bernie bros are just spreading more Russian propaganda and yeah. shit. We're repeating 2016 over again because with every passing day, people like Josh Marshall are just and and of course Joe Biden are just signaling to the left that they're not needed that we're going to go after the never Trump Republicans and we're going to win with them and they tried that in 2016 and uh, we'll see how things turn out this time I guess but I don't want to get ahead of us maybe Bernie will will pull it off tonight yeah maybe Bernie will sweep uh, Michigan Washington pull off a, a, a shock result in Missouri and yeah last year's Michigan will be in Missouri <laughs> maybe he will uh, Joe Biden. He would Democrats are putting all their faith in a candidate who opposes one of the most popular positions in the Democratic Party, Medicare for all. Uh, instead, Joe Biden is out here trying to fight with auto workers. <laughs> There's a video of him circulating, getting an argument with an auto worker in Detroit who called out Joe Biden. Uh, now, I, I don't necessarily agree with this voter who thinks Joe Biden is going to confiscate all his guns. But to be fair, Joe Biden has said that he'd consider Beto O'Rourke in charge of gun policy. And Beto O'Rourke did say he's going to try and confiscate everybody's guns. So this worker uh, confronted Joe Biden about this and Biden being unable to talk to anybody. Once again, tried to fight a voter, said he's full of shit, got his wagging his finger in the worker's face. This is like the third time that Joe Biden, fourth time that Joe Biden's tried to fight with someone on the campaign trail. Fourth time in, in how many weeks? I feel like it's more than that. Where's where's the uh, civility concerns? Where are the civility concerns when a candidate is trying to fight voters? Got to have concerns about civility when random Twitter users are sending emojis. But when the candidate themselves is trying to fight voters on the campaign trail... Nothing. Also, Biden was uh, protested last night at his speech in Detroit by uh, Green New Deal and I believe it was Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, and he shouted at them that uh, they were Bernie bros and yeah. said that they were basically like Trump. And it's not too late. To Trump. We can. Young we can people are not going to vote for this guy. Young people are not going to vote for this guy. There's still time to prevent this catastrophic mistake. There's still time for Joe Biden to reveal. His diagnosis from the neurologist and to step out of this race. I'm not trying to do the, the tough guy podcaster thing, but I am doing nothing to get Joe Biden elected. I don't, if I lived in a swing state, I would still vote PSL. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Here's the news. Stock markets rebounded a little bit this morning after President Trump said last night he would push for tax cuts. 
Trump said he would eye relief for payroll taxes to address economic problems caused by the coronavirus or COVID-19. Basically, this means tax cuts for managers and business owners. The president additionally claimed that workers who miss paychecks will also receive help so they, quote, don't get penalized for something that's not their fault. The not their fault part makes it sound like they're going to means test the shit out of this relief if it ever comes at all. More details about this plan are expected to come later this evening at a White House press conference. Who knows what the proposal will actually look like? Trump reportedly surprised some of his aides yesterday when he floated the tax cuts in the first place. Later in the morning, he also promised to bail out the airline industry and the cruise line industry. And just before recording, it was reported that he's also looking to give assistance to the fracking industry. <laughs> Vice President Pence announced that health insurance companies, meanwhile, would agree to waive co-pays on COVID-19 tests. Who knows what's in it for them? I assume it will be a massive quote-unquote tax cut as well. These bailout promises came after the market turned south fast, unsurprisingly. That shit drives Trump bonkers. Gains went from 4% off the opening to being entirely wiped out two hours after the opening bell. There was about a 1% bump after Trump spoke. But underlying problems are plenty. As we have noted time and time again on this show, corporate America's finances have become increasingly precarious over the past few years. Corporate debt is looking like mortgage debt did last decade with underwriting standards eroding and the spread of credit to distressed companies, so-called leveraged loans. Despite this, the Trump administration is in no rush to convene the Financial Stability Oversight Council, or FSOC, a multi-agency oversight organ created after the 2008 collapse. Here was Ohio Democrat Sherrod Brown pressing a member of FSOC, Kathy Craninger, director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This was before the Senate Banking Committee early in the morning. FSOC hasn't met since November. The statute says they should meet quarterly. The, as I said, the president doesn't plan on calling for meet, a meeting in the immediate future. You think that's a good idea? Senator, I believe there is actually a meeting scheduled later in March already. Uh, and in addition, there is extensive communication amongst the FSOC well, members I, I, and through the okay, interagency I, I, process. I, I hear that. And that's what he said, too. With he the, is Steve but he has no, no, nothing to considering what's happening in the financial markets, considering what's happening in public health around the country and considering the law says quarterly, uh, you, you wonder what they're doing. I mean, you're supposed to. Would, would you be would you stand up now and demand that Secretary Mnuchin call a meeting immediately of the council and explain publicly what this administration's plan is to make sure regular Americans don't end up paying the price? Would you speak out on that today? Senator, we have one scheduled, and I believe, too, there are conversations even happening today with the Senate and the House leadership on economic response. Not, none of those conversations are public. Not public conversations. Honestly, a the... stability council that includes Kathy Craninger and Steve Mnuchin doesn't inspire much confidence either. <laughs> Indeed. And more on that later on Kathy Craninger not inspiring confidence. First, Sam Sachs with more on the ongoing public health crisis. Well, let's talk about the coronavirus cover-up. The Trump administration is going to great lengths to downplay or altogether erase the threat of COVID-19 to the U.S. population. Miami Herald reported yesterday that the Department of Justice sent a directive to immigration courts around the country ordering them to remove information posters about the coronavirus. The posters contain both English and Spanish directions about what you should do to prevent contracting the virus. 
The National Association of Immigration Judges initially recommended displaying the posters in courtrooms per guidance from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. However, in a mass email to immigration courts, the chief acting immigration judge of the country, Christopher Santoro, said, quote, This is just a reminder that immigration judges do not have the authority to post or ask you to post signage for their individual courtrooms or the waiting areas. Per our leadership, the CDC flyer is not authorized for posting in the immigration courts. If you see one, please remove it. Thank you. End quote. (laughs) Why? Why? That's... I ask why, but then again, discouraging immigrants from learning about coronavirus so that they are at risk actually fits perfectly into the Trump administration's anti-immigration regime. The cruelty is the point. Now, this cover-up also extends to Congress. Last month, the Trump administration canceled an annual world threats hearing before Congress. According to Time, it was because the administration didn't want to air the warnings about how the U.S. is unprepared for a pandemic. Two sources familiar with the administration's 2020 World Threats Report, which remains classified and out of reach of Congress, told Time that the report contains the same language about pandemics that the 2019 report included, which is, quote, the United States will remain vulnerable to the next flu pandemic or large scale outbreak of a contagious disease that could lead to massive rates of death and disability, severely affect the world economy, strain international resources and increase calls on the United States for support. End quote. Looks like we are on our way there. The threats hearing was scheduled for February 12th before being scrapped. It has not been rescheduled. However, the director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, wasn't able to escape testifying before a House Appropriations Committee on Tuesday. The U.S. remains lagging behind the rest of the world when it comes to testing for coronavirus due to a number of problems rolling out the tests. Fewer than 5,000 people have been tested for the virus within the United States. Compare that with South Korea, which is testing like 15,000 people a day and already has tested 100,000 people. The U.K. has tested nearly 25,000 people. When asked why people are having to wait several days to receive their coronavirus test results, Redfield admitted, shit's a mess. Here he was under questioning from Rep. Herrera Boitler. There's still a delay. I mean, we've been waiting for about five tests for a number of days. Like every day, the headline is still waiting for the test results. Could you quickly speak to that? Great question, and it's why I hope in the time I get, I accomplish what I want in building core capability. These public health labs need redundancy. They don't have it. This is when I go back about the core capability of data, lab, people, rapid response fund, and global health. Uh, the truth is we've not invested, in, we've underinvested in the public health so labs. there aren't enough people to There's run not the enough tests? equipment, there's not enough people, there's not enough internal capacity, there's no surge capacity. Hmm. It's almost as though a healthcare system rooted in the profit motive and overly reliant on private companies results in a weakened public health care sector. We can test everyone to see if they can uh, afford dick implants, though. <laughs> Access to dick implants if you have five hundred thousand dollars. Dick implants for everyone, baby. This is a point, not quite the dick implants, but the larger point that's been made by the Bernie Sanders campaign on the trail. A Medicare for all system is the best way to prevent 
future pandemics because all people have access to the healthcare system. They're not delaying treatment and therefore infecting other people because they can't afford it or because they can't get off of work. But here was one of the biggest dipshits in Congress, Andy Harris, congressman from Maryland, Republican, a guy who single-handedly tried to block me, block me, Sam Sachs, from buying weed in D.C., and Sam Knight, all of us, really. He tried to block all of us from buying weed in D.C. Well, guess what, Andy? I bought new weed today, bitch. How do you like that? (laughs) I also bought weed recently, Andy. Back to the point, though. Here was Andy Harris drawing the exact wrong conclusions about what we've seen over the last several weeks. And Dr. Redfield actually shitting on the private sector. You know, Quest and LabCorp now are geared up to do this. Probably because there is a profit motive, they're ready to go much quicker. You know, I guess I anticipated that the private sector would have engaged and helped develop it for the clinical side. Um, CDC has tried to help because the test that we did develop, IDT asked the FDA if they could now actually commercialize it. And we said, it's fine by us, they can do our EOA. But I think, uh, you know, I can tell you, having lived through the last eight weeks, I would have loved the private sector to be fully engaged eight weeks ago. Yeah, I think we have the wrong agency, I guess, to ask that question here. Thank you, Madam Chair. Yeah, probably. Private sector, not on the ball at all at the beginning of this in the public sector, trying to help the private sector catch up. Anyway, currently more than 600 people in the U.S. have contracted coronavirus, though the number is likely much, much higher. Much higher. There have been at least 26 deaths, and that number is likely to grow as well. Around the world, the death toll has surpassed 4,000. Back to the CFPB and the banking industry, market turmoil totally buried news about another alleged fake account scandal. Fifth Third Bank, the 14th largest bank in the country by asset size, is being sued by the CFPB for allegedly signing up customers for financial products without their consent. The details are strikingly similar to the case that emerged in 2016 involving the CFPB and Wells Fargo. Like Wells Fargo, Fifth Third is being accused of browbeating employees into fraudulent behavior in a pattern that stretches back years by establishing a rotten incentive structure known as cross-selling the practice of pushing new products on existing customers. Reading from the agency charges, Fifth Third allegedly set sales targets, quote, that thousands of its employees could not achieve, threatened employees with termination or other disciplinary action if they failed to meet their goals, established a system under which managers pressured subordinate employees to sell, and failed to take steps to determine and address a root cause of unauthorized accounts, which was consistently said by employees to be intense sales pressure, end of quote. According to the agency, this led to customers being signed up without their consent for deposit accounts, credit cards, other lines of credit, and online banking services. In some instances, customer funds were transferred improperly. All of this exposed Fifth Third customers to fees, missed bill payments, and lower credit scores. Managers failed to close known loopholes, the CFPB said, and didn't take steps to notify customers who were victimized. This is all alleged to have happened from 2008 until 2016. Fifth Third denied the CFPB charges and said the lawsuit was, quote, unnecessary and unwarranted. Still, there are questions over the extent to which the CFPB itself will pursue damages. Here's the CFPB director again being questioned by Sherrod Brown about ties between Fifth Third and the Trump administration. 
FDIC Chair Yelena McWilliams would have known about the fake accounts. She was legal officer at Fifth Third for a couple of year period. Leonard Chanin was also a deputy at Fifth Third before he became deputy at the FDIC. He would have known about the Bureau's fake account investigation of Fifth Third. Even with this background, you recently named Mr. Chanin to serve as deputy director. Did you know about his role in the fake account scandal at Fifth Third when you hired him? I can assure you that Mr. Chanin is a longstanding public service servant who served at the Fed, who was the head of regulations, the CFPB, the when it was yes, established. Pretty easy question. Did you know about what you brought the action? You as head of the F, uh, uh, CFPB has brought the action. Did you yes. know about his role in that when you hired him? I know that he worked at Fifth Third, yes. So you did not know about his role or you did know about his role? <laughs> you were, your people were investigating Fifth Third at the time, um, and you hired him. Did you know of his role in this? Of course you knew he worked there, but did you know of his role in it, yes or no? Uh, Senator, these are all, as you know, it's confidential investigative information with respect to you know what well, there is, a, and there is a privacy right here as well. So happy to, to follow up with you with any information that we can provide it's, given that ongoing enforcement action. Director Cranger, it's not a privacy right on whether or not you knew of his involvement in something when you hired him to be your number two. Uh, I. I don't know what to make of the fact that you just don't want to answer that question. Senator Shelby. Senator Shelby. I mean, there is no right answer to the question, considering she either knew about it and didn't give a shit, or she didn't know about it, in which case she definitely should have known about it. Now, if the name Leonard Chanin sounds familiar, he got reamed out by Elizabeth Warren in 2016 as a Republican witness before the Senate Banking Committee testifying against regulations. Chanin is a Republican hack who was a high-ranking Fed official under George W. Bush before the 2008 crisis. Finally, turning to news on the U.S. Empire, the head of U.S. Central Command, General Kenneth McKenzie, appeared before the House Armed Services Committee on Tuesday. He fielded several questions on last month's peace deal with the Taliban in Afghanistan. McKenzie testified, and this surprised me since I thought the agreement was really just a wag the dog on the coronavirus thing, but McKenzie testified that they're still committed to at least withdrawing a few thousand troops from Afghanistan, taking U.S. forces down from around 12,000 to under 9,000. That's despite a lot of opposition from Democrats on the panel on Tuesday. Yes, Democrats opposing troop withdrawal. I know, you're shocked. Here was Representative Jason Crow pressing McKenzie on this, and McKenzie admitting that a full withdrawal, according to the agreement, is unlikely, at least if he has anything to say about it. It was very clear to us by everybody that we talked to that the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces was incapable of staying up on its own any time in the next couple of years, yet under the plan, we will completely withdraw, including support services and contractors within 14 months. If that occurs, will the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces be capable of staying up on its own? That's going to be another uh, discovery-based process as we go forward. So we're going to go to 8,600 by the summer. Uh, conditions on the ground will dictate if we go below that. If conditions on the ground are not permissive, my advice would not to be to continue that reduction. That would not be my decision. That would be my advice. Another issue came up in today's hearing, U.S. troops in Syria. Now, if you're a normal person, you're outraged that we even have U.S. troops on the ground in Syria doing things like defending oil fields. But if you're Democratic Congresswoman Elisa Slotkin, a former CIA agent, then this is your concern. 
Um, can you tell me there are reports in Syria of drones dropping mortars and grenades on oil on our troops near uh, or around oil fields? Um, can you help me understand what's happening there, and do we have adequate force protection? So yes, it is a problem. Uh, we look at it very hard. It's one of my highest priorities. Who's operating those drones? So I think probably in this case uh, ISIS, but uh, but we're still working that. But if I had a judge today, I would say it was possibly ISIS, but probably not a state entity operating the drones. Mm -hmm. Okay, I yield back. Thank you. <laughs> Just going to throw this out there: the best way to protect U.S. troops from drone attacks. Just return them back home. Just, just, it's going to be hard for ISIS to fly drones across the Atlantic. Can you believe it's only been like, what, nine weeks since uh, Trump had Soleimani whacked? Mm. <laughs> still waiting for our, sh our shit to get kicked out of Iraq because you know that's still going to come eventually. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope. That music means the newscast is over and the poetry portion of the show has begun. Actually, you shouldn't be anti-American. That's a CIA PSYOP. Uh, if you were actually patriotic, maybe the left would win. Uh, uh, come see my stand-up. I have my head shoved up my fucking own asshole. <laughs> Are we going to read some poetry here? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's on you. All new subscribers to our Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel, get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. And we've got one to read right now. This is for Aaron. Virus finance news. People are now staying home. Invest in gaming. Thank you, Aaron. And thanks to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. We are back with a brand new newscast tomorrow. Thursday, we've got a brand new Means Morning News on Means TV. Be sure to check that out. And then Friday, we've got the subscriber show for our patrons, patreon.com slash district sentinel. We're here in DC, so you don't have to be.